Here we are. We're making our way through the book of Galatians verse by verse. And, and last week, uh, I'm going to pick up some verses again that I dealt with. This central sec- section of chapter 3, as we look at these verses, is critical in terms of Paul's theology that he's communicating. And possibly these verses that we've been dealing with the last few weeks are some of the most complex and most difficult to get our minds around, understanding the relationship of the Abrahamic blessing, the relationship of the law that God gave, and the relationship to faith and, and understanding that, that Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic blessing. And you might not have a clue what I'm talking about. Abrahamic blessing and what that means. But God came down and made a promise to Abraham. And this promise was that I, I will be with you and I will always lead you. He also made a promise that not only will he always be with you and he will lead you, but actually I will make you into a great nation. Not only will I make you into a great nation, but I will bless you. Not only will I bless you, but I will make your name famous. And I told you last week, I've got a famous name. Not because it's Phil Collins, but because my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name is famous. Because when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, your name is gloriously, gloriously present in the annuals of heaven. That God looks at you and your name is famous. And that we know that and that that we are to bless others. And we bless the world through the gospel, through the power of the gospel. And that when we bless other people, uh, they are blessed. And when they bless us, they are blessed. And it talks about that we are a people of blessing and that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now imagine this. If you read the whole of the Bible with the Abrahamic blessing in mind, you'll see how it was completely fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ came and he promises that he will always lead every one of you and will not fail you. He promises that we will be part of a great nation. We are part of a great nation. We're part of the church of Christ. The church of Christ on which, on this foundation, that Jesus Christ is Lord, I will build my church. And what happens when he builds his church? The gates of hell shall not prevail. He has given us the keys of the kingdom. And we are part of a great nation called the church of God. And that he will bless us, he will provide needs for us. He will meet us in our needs and in our battles and in our problems. I've already said about our, uh, we are children of Abraham through Christ. And this was fulfilled. And we are to bless the nations and the families of the nations. And when, for example, where Mike and Vanessa are working there but on the edge of the Himalayas, working in a village where there is no running water, but bringing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are fulfilling the great Abrahamic promise where God spoke to Abraham. And they are bringing the good news and it is all fulfilled in one place, in one person. It is all fulfilled in, the, in Jesus Christ. And Paul is, of course, talking about this. And so we continue with these verses. But before the coming of this faith, 
We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Talked a bit about that last week. Now that this is faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through Christ. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If I want to entitle this Uh, 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 sermon and this thought with one idea. What I want to entitle it is that we are heirs. We are joint heirs in all that Christ has given us. And what Paul was saying is you don't receive the inheritance through following the law. You receive the inheritance through an agreement. You become joint heirs. You inherit what God has for you and the way that God blesses you and God is so interested in you. There's been a lot of talk about the royal family in the news this week. I don't know if you've noticed. There's some big news. I mean, my cousins are now moving to Canada. (laughs) And I said to my aunt, Elizabeth, I said... um, What is going on? I know that you love me so much, but now you want to move and be close to me? I mean, it's all happening. I joke for those of you who are are visiting. She's not really my aunt. She's my great aunt. But... (laughs) But there's, I love all of this dynamic discussion and all that is going on. But there is something interesting in this. It's about title. It's about position. It's about shall they keep their titles or not keep their titles. They are keeping their title, but there's a, um, they're, they're, they're dropping a certain title. We won't get into that. And all this debate is interesting That when, for example, Will and Kate got married, it was a beautiful wedding, I couldn't make it. But when they got married, Kate, of course, is not a royal. She will one day be the Queen of England. After Charles and then William. Now, I know that everybody says that Charles won't be king, particularly Fox News. But look at the mess we get in constitutionally. He'll be king. But when Kate went to get married, she basically was, her status was a common person. I know it sounds a bit strange, but that was her status. And because she went into a legal arrangement, a covenant of marriage, she changed from being a normal young woman from a small English village. And they, she was, they invited, she was, went to the local primary school. The local grocer came to the wedding. The local butcher, the postmaster came to the wedding. And it was, it was wonderful. And, and there was all this about this. And of course she came in and, and she went through the agreement. And suddenly she becomes the Duchess of Cambridge. And she is due one day to become the Queen of England and the Commonwealth. She's going to inherit 
by virtue of this covenant of marriage and agreement and joining the family, there is so much more that she receives and so much more that she steps into. And this is exactly the theological point that Paul is trying to make. He's saying that we were once, as it were, outcasts. We were lost, but because of a covenant that came from heaven through Abraham, fulfilled in Christ Jesus, you and I have become part of the greatest family on the, on the face of the planet. You and I are part of this royal family, if you like. This family that is, that is present, this family that is global, and this family where you and I become co-heirs in Christ Jesus. I love this thought. You may say, well, what am I receiving? What am I becoming a co-heir in? You know, just some things from Scripture. Let me mention these things for you to remind you. The Bible says that when you become a follower of Christ, you join a new kingdom and, a new, and you're part of a new kingdom. It says that when you become an heir, that you receive the gift of eternal life. It says that when you become an heir, you will be part of the new creation. And that this world will be renewed and there will be a new creation and you'll be part of that new creation. In fact, Romans says that actually we will inherit the whole world. There will be a kingdom, a a city that will come from above. And this city will be a place where you shall dwell and this city shall never be shaken. Never shaken. There will be a new Jerusalem. And where the glory of the Lord shines forever. This is just the beginning of what you are part of. You see, you just haven't stepped into something, a bit of religion. What you've stepped into is a great eschatology. A great future that you are going to inherit eternal life itself. And Paul is saying, you are heirs. You don't gain this inheritance through the law. You gain this inheritance through your faith. And when you have faith, you are set free from the law and you are now walking with God. And you have that relationship with God. And so it's important to notice that before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. What he's literally saying in these two verses here. And so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. What he was saying here is literally for the Israelites, for the nation of Israel, is that we, they were under The curse of the law and put in, literally the phrase is, put in prison by it. They were held by it. They were held under the power of the law. In the same way, uh, Paul is alluding here, and you know it through the text, is that we are also under prison sentence of the power of sin. That humanity, through the fall, is imprisoned in darkness, imprisoned in separation, imprisoned and completely 
and free from the tyranny and the darkness of sin in the world. And the law was never an answer to the sin in the world. What does the law do? It reveals our own hearts. It restrains the evil in the world, as I said last week, and it shows us a picture of what needs to happen, and it gives us a clear image. But it was never the remedy to the problem. The remedy to us being trapped in the prison of law, the prison of sin, the prison of death, the remedy would always be Christ crucified and rising again on the third day. And humanity is trapped. Humanity is imprisoned by this very idea. There's this picture that we are held back. We are held back. But what Christ comes and does, he comes through the promise of faith. He comes and sets us free from that prison. He comes and brings us close to him. As we think about this, sometimes it's, it's difficult to understand. There's this sense in the text that there's this whole, this whole idea of the human mind and the human experience being trapped. It's, it's, it's hard to grapple with. In some ways, it reminds me of, um, of kind of English society maybe 100, 150 years ago and beyond when, when people were trapped by the way they, where they were born, by their status. You know, you look at the First World War, there wasn't actually a common man who went in as a soldier that was promoted to be an officer. The highest rank they ever came was a sergeant because the system of deference, the system of the class society kept the working man from experiencing the full advantage and freedom. And so the whole system confined and worked against him. And that's why there were revolutions in Europe, because people were held back. They were imprisoned by their status. My granddad, who died at 93, him, him and I, we watched Titanic. He was very excited about watching Titanic. And we sat down together and we watched what was the new Titanic. You can watch it on Netflix if you so desire. But we sat and watched it, and he was really disappointed with it. I said, why are you disappointed, Grandad? He was about 84 then. Just shook his head. The ship sank. And I said, um, no, it was a joke. Um, But I said, "Why why are you disappointed? He said, that would never have happened. Because in the story of Titanic, there is a, you know, a, a lady of nobility who falls in love with a young man who's a kind of just a, a normal young guy, a kind of a working class young man, and he falls, she falls in love with him. And he, he just shook his head. He said, you don't understand. When you were born in a certain way, you stayed in a certain way, and that storyline would never, ever have happened. It was ridiculous. Held back. 
held back by the philosophies, by the idea. That's the heart of what Paul's saying, is that humanity has been imprisoned by the power of sin and we've been held back. We've never been able to succeed. We've never been able to break free. We've all been in prison until the day that Jesus Christ came into this world and we are set free. And if the Son has set you free, you and I are free indeed. That's what it's saying. You think of the racism, the injustice within um, the way that um, um, communities have been treated, uh, the way that communities of colour have been treated in the South and the history and the segregation and um, the freedom movement and just the whole idea that because of where you were born and the colour of your skin, you have been held back that you have been, been pushed down. You've not been allowed to sit in a per, for a certain place or go on a certain bus or go through a certain entrance because of race divides and separates. Of evil, racism and prejudice, a philosophy that holds back a whole generation, a whole people group because of that philosophy. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying that sin is so evil. It separates and we've been imprisoned. We've been held back. And as we've been held back in that way, we haven't found freedom until Abraham's promise was released and we were brought into Christ and we were all set free. And let me remind you, the ground around the cross is flat and that, that we are all equal before Christ Jesus. But he's trying to explain to us the insipid, dark way that sin has imprisoned humanity and the glorious fact that every human being who puts their faith in Christ can be, can be unified with Jesus. Let me take this thought a little farther that we understand. So the law was our guardian, literally our prison guard, literally our tutor, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith, not by works. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer held back. Literally, we are no longer imprisoned by these thoughts and by this power and by this curse and by this idea. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through Christ. Everybody has the opportunity. Every nation, every people has the opportunity. You see, the law was for this era, and now we're in the era of Christ. This was before Christ, and this is the era of Christ. And this era of Christ means that you and I become united in Christ Jesus. The phrase united in this text literally means this. It means being incorporated, brought in. Be made part of. It means that the tyranny of the philosophy and the darkness of sin no longer holds you out. And now you are brought in and you're incorporated. You're incorporated into the family of God. Every one of you is incorporated. 
It's a bit like, you know, if you, if you go and, I know some of you play hockey. It's a bit like you go to a, a game and you pick up a game and you join a team. You are incorporated into the game, into the team. You made part of it, yeah? I've done that myself. I've played hockey. Yes, I know it surprises you. I have played hockey. I've laced up. I have, uh, a long time ago, um, in northern Alberta, I was preaching somewhere and they said, it was in the 80s, they said, hey, pastor, do you want to come and we've got a game north of uh, Grand Prairie towards Manning. Do you want to come and play this game with us and join in? Can you skate? I said, yeah, I can skate. Sure. So I went with them. They incorporated me into the team. It was beautiful. And I arrived there and it took me about half the match to to tie my laces up, and then, then they, they, they incorporated me onto the ice, and I could skate around like an Englishman, and, and I got my stick, yeah, and I was looking for the ball, but I couldn't find the ball, and where's the ball? And, and then I, uh, that moment, they fully incorporated me. As the Alliance Church, I was playing with the Pentecostals back then. Now I play for the Mennonites. Um, as, the, as the Alliance Church, they all, I got the puck and, and they kindly all moved aside. <laughs> and I took the puck down and I scored. Yes. Thank you. You are, you are, you are, you are a merciful people. But I was incorporated into the game. And then a fight broke out between the youth pastors and they were... Um, I know, I know. It's, it's hockey though. It's fine there. It's, it's, the, the Bible doesn't apply. Uh, but, but suddenly a great big brawl broke out and that's a part, I was told that's part of the fun of inter-church relationships, playing hockey. If you're in the conversation and there's a group of people around a table and you come in and then people invite you in, you're incorporated into it. And you join in to this. And what Paul is saying is that you were outsiders. You were held back. You were lost. But through the promise of Abraham, you and I have been incorporated into the kingdom of God. You and I have been united into the kingdom of God. You and I are part of it. We are now. We are heirs. Just in the same way, Kate and Megan have been incorporated into the royal family, the Windsors. And now they're doing something else and moving to Canada. And, and all of this, you and I are incorporated and brought in. And so it wasn't that the law was bad, it's just that everything's changed now. That was for this era, and now there is this era. An era of faith, an era of all nations, an era of all are welcome, an era that has changed everything. And we're not held back anymore by the curse of sin and death, and by indeed for the uh, Israelites, by the curse of the law. And the law was there 
to guide us and be a guardian and to show us the way. But now, as it says, there is, for now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of, of sin and death. You and I are set free now. And we're part of this new family. Scott McKnight, the theologian that writes a lot about this, put it this way. He says it's a little bit like... You all remember you had typewriters, right? And we all used to, I remember I had a, had a typewriter. And you, got the, you had to get the ink right and the, the ribbon. Was it called the ribbon? And then you had to tap. But when you made a mistake, you had to start again, right? Or you had to get tippex out, that white stuff. It was the era of the typewriter. It was awesome for that era, but the world has changed. And now we're in the era of the word processor. Not only that, but you can go back. There's no tipex. In fact, on my computer now, I can just speak and it writes. In fact, it tells me what to write. (laughs) Because it's a different era. That was the era of the law. And Paul says, but we've moved into the era of something completely different. It's, it's built upon, but it's something so remarkable. How remarkable are our computers? How remarkable is the ability to approach that first word process I had, that little Apple Mac, that little square little thing that we used Right back, I don't know when it was, it was like, my, I've still got my very first computer, well, my dad has it, he, he collects weird things, and he's still got that very first word processor, but the difference was life-changing, life-giving, the freedom, and this is what Paul's trying to communicate, we were once banging away on a typewriter, but now we're in a different era, and you're set free. And you're part of a new family. And you, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Through faith. You're all children of God. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Interesting that he brings it right the way back down to baptism. He reminds them of the decision that they made. When they were baptized. And can I remind you the beauty of your baptism? Can I remind you the day that you were baptized? And if you haven't been baptized, can I encourage you that baptism is an act of obedience? I worry about the way we treat baptism. That it can be like an optional extra for Christianity. And yet baptism is a command. Water is important. In the beginning... We're created, and the, and the Spirit of God was over the waters. The great ark and the flood that took place and the waters that came, the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of Jordan. Today, God calls us, you know, to be baptized, to understand the importance of baptism, that I completely identify with Christ. And if I can say anything this morning, if you haven't been baptized, make that step of obedience. Honestly, again and again in Scripture, Paul reminds them of what God did for them through their trust in faith and through their obedient step into baptism. 
Maybe you've drifted from the Lord. And I can remind you, the day you were baptized, it means something. It's something significant. You identified and you said, I die to myself and I rise in Christ Jesus. And he says, you were clothed yourself with Christ. You dress differently now. You act differently. There is neither Jew. This is where it, oh, I love this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. None of that. None of that sense of, of deference. None of that sense of being isolated. None of that sense of being left out. None of that idea of the elite. In this new nation of God, you and I, we are all part of God's kingdom. We are loved no matter what nation you come from. No matter where you, what your history is. No matter what you've been through. Neither if you are male or female. Neither Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And that message changes the world. That message should change the world. And Paul is saying, drop this thing and know that we are now one. See, it's so important that we realize that our identity is in Christ that we have a new identity. Love this idea that my old false self, my selfish ego, my own, I have many false selves, many um, conflicted emotions and ideas of selfishness within my own life. But there's a beautiful thing that happens when you become a Christian. My identity is no longer my sinful self. My identity is Jesus Christ. And the greatest pleasure of my Christian walk is learning to die to myself and to live for Jesus. The greatest beauty is to be able to pray for I no longer live but Christ that lives within me. The greatest wonder is that the more I lay down my selfishness, the more I lay down my selfish ambition, the more I lay down my vain conceit, the more I choose to be humble and to be a servant and to have the interest of others at heart and to consider myself nothing and be obedient as Christ was even unto the cross. Remarkable thing is the more I die, it's the more I discover who God meant me to be. The more I am willing to lay my life down, the more I am willing to, to, to die and to say, Christ, Christ, you make me. Christ, you mold me. It's how we have successful marriages. It's how we have successful friendships. It's how we live our lives successfully by learning to die to ourselves. To learning to rise in Christ. Learning to know the beauty and the wonder and the mystery of laying down our selfish ambition. Laying down our conceit. Laying down the false 
masks and images that we create. Laying down the tyranny of I. I want this. I want to do this. I want to live this. And laying that down at the foot of the cross and saying, I want to become like Jesus. It's the greatest calling of our lives. It's to become like Jesus. It's the most beautiful thing. And if I can encourage you in anything, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and the heir according to the promise. All the nations join together. All the people, all the world, through faith, you receive this. You are baptized, and then a new sign goes up. And this sign says over my life, under new ownership. I am owned by Christ. I live for Christ. I follow Christ. For I am crucified with Christ, for I no longer live, but Christ that lives within me. You get that right and you die, you will live. You will live. You will live. You will live live like you've never lived. I think you've got the point, right? (laughs) We've got to choose to do that and be able to step in. So let's, um, let's pause at the end of this fabulous text and we'll move on next week and we'll keep motoring and you can go back and listen and think about this. But really think about this idea. What is holding you back? What is holding you in the prison? You can be set free and you can walk in a new life, in a new way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so humbled. Forgive us when we um, live our life wearing a mask. Forgive us, Lord, when we, our most important thing is what I want rather than what you want. Forgive me, Lord, when I wear costumes and I'm not being real to who I should be, which is you, my false self, my vain conceit. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget what it is to truly lay down everything. Lord, we can so easily be drawn along by the ideas of the world, by the political opinions of this world by the philosophies of this world and lose the beauty of the gospel and a new life and being free. Help us to find our identity only in Jesus. Nothing else, Lord. We want to find our identity in you.
We, Lord, don't want idols in our hearts. We only want to serve one true God. And that God is you. And help us, your children, to understand that we are heirs of a great promise. That we received so much. And help us to live with a deep sense of knowledge that we are children of God. That you are with us, even through the darkest times. I love it, Lord. and I love you. And help us to be on the journey of the cross, to lay our lives down. And even in this final song, help us to engage spiritually, Lord, that we may seek that journey of saying, I've got my new identity, and that identity is Jesus. And the more I seek to be like Jesus, the more I seek, seem to feel, Lord, like I'm, I'm my real self. It's a mystery. So, Lord, take us deeper and help us to lay down it all before you. And I want to thank you for the beauty of the gospel for the nations. All around this globe. That long before Google Earth ever existed, you were looking into every corner, every tribe, every people. That you could see in 3D in every place. And you love every one of these nations. And may we walk, Lord, and be free from the curse of sin and death, but alive in you, Lord, we ask.